0: hello and welcome to life beyond the numbers the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life we live in a world largely driven by numbers logic and reason but how we feel at work and about our work impacts us our organizations and society There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michielan, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique. others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your human Hello and welcome to episode 123 of Life Beyond the Numbers. This episode is going out on Saturday, April 1st, 2023. And for those of you who have listened to episode 122, you'll know that my schedule for releasing new episodes has been a little disturbed of late. And if you haven't heard episode 122, is your chance to listen to why that is. I'm hoping to get back to more regular, scheduled by May, but I will certainly have new episodes coming out during April. I think probably every second week, but let's see how it goes. And for those of you who did listen to episode 122 and sent me feedback or your thoughts on... The episode on life, it was just amazing. I heard from so many people in different parts of the world and I really appreciated that. And I'm happy to say that m M&M are doing well. They're still in hospital, but they are both well and truly on the road to recovery. So this week I've got a solo episode inspired by the International Day of Happiness. March 20th was the International Day of Happiness and the day got me thinking about the concept of happiness. What does it mean to be happy? How do you know you're happy? Are you happy? Fairly happy? Really happy? Rather happy? Truly happy? And if you aren't happy, are you unhappy? Or miserable? Or maybe you're sad? We use words, obviously, to communicate. And there are words that we use all the time that communicate our experiences, but they can also limit our worldview. Because if I only have one word for happiness, then I have to match that experience I know as happiness to that word. Whereas if I have lots of different words for feeling happy, like joy, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and these other words, then happiness isn't always the word that I need to be. And many of the words that we use all the time, we learned in childhood. We learned from others. People gave us their concepts And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about that song. Many of you probably remember it in childhood, and maybe you sang it to a sibling. If you're happy and you're nappy, clap your hands. If you're happy and you're nappy, clap your hands. So we started forming this concept of happiness as children, listening to this song, playing along with our parents. They were smiling, we were all clapping our hands at least having a go at it and that is where our understanding of happiness came from. Our parents, our teachers, our siblings, our friends, songs, books have all given us words so we can interpret the world. But if I say I'm happy and you say you're happy, will we both be having the same experience? Will we both describe that feeling of happiness in the same way? It's kind of doubtful, actually. Happy is a word we have a universal understanding of, but my happiness might be your joy or your happiness might be my contentment. And it's such a common word that we use and we use it to check in with people, Are you happy with that? Does that make you happy? And my personal favourite at CrossFit, one of our coaches, when we're about to start this killer of a workout, will go, happy, happy, happy. And I can tell you, I rarely am. But I'm also not miserable or unhappy. But it doesn't mean I'm happy. What does it mean to be happy? what is happiness to you? Do you know what makes you happy? And is happy what you want? And how will you know when you are? And if you do want happiness, do you want it all the time? Do you buy into happily ever after? We're probably never ever going to be happy all the time. In fact, we just couldn't be. Nor should we be, in a way, because I think life would be boring if we felt the same thing day in, day out. Like, if you never experienced unhappiness or sadness or miserableness, how would you know what happiness was? That sentence, life's rich tapestry, keeps coming to mind, because it's only in, in our experiences that we can contrast and make decisions about what it is we would prefer to have. Happiness is an emotion and an emotion is something that's fleeting. It comes and goes, ebbs and flows. Emotions are really just information. They're data that your body is alerting you to, and it's how we interpret them that really matters. Our brain effectively translates the feeling in our body, the sensation that we're feeling into a concept like happiness. So if I'm in a nappy and I'm clapping, therefore I must be happy. And that's what the song said. we're always feeling something. I mean, there's this underlying current, like a temperature or the atmosphere of your body. So even when you're outside, you can get the feeling in the air, even if it's nondescript. It's always the same inside of ourselves. We don't think about it or tend to notice it until somebody asks you maybe you stop and wonder for yourself. So if I were to ask you now right in this moment how are you feeling? What would you say? So for me right now sitting here I'm feeling a little bit excited by having this conversation with myself (laughs) but it isn't and I'm also feeling a little bit anxious about the amount of stuff I want to get done today and I'm feeling ready for a coffee. But overall, my underlying feeling is pleasant and that underlying feeling is our mood, our, our effect as scientists call it. and it's basically a simple accounting for how we feel a baseline if you will and our mood or our effect is like consciousness and it's with us from birth to death we gotta be feeling something it's how we know we're alive and if your effect is pleasant then your body is doing well it's fine It's not hungry, it's not tired, it's not too stressed. But if you're feeling unpleasant, then you might need to take some action. And if you're in a state of arousal, then there may be an alarm signaling. The main function of our brain is to regulate our body. And it's using all of these internal signals that are going on, continuously, like our heart beating, to make sure that what we need is in the right place. We're pretty unaware that this is happening, which is a good thing, because if you could hear your heart beating all the time and your stomach digesting all the time and all these other internal functions that are going on, you'd never be able to do anything else. Your focus would be completely on your inner feelings and sensations. So what our brain is doing is effectively translating all of these things that are going on inside and making an interpretation of that and giving it language so you can describe how it is you're feeling. And although what our brain is doing all of the time is universal, our resulting mental interpretations won't be Amazingly, scientists are still figuring out how these signals are transformed by our brain into mental concepts. But it does really show us that our body and mind work together in a very tangible and biological way. And that an emotion is almost like an extra layer of information piled on top of this mood. It's like moving up the dial a couple of notches on pleasantness. So I'm feeling okay now, but let's say I look out in the street and I see the sunrise or the sunset, and that might just lift me a little bit further and I might smile wildly and just feel differently. This feeling will go because the emotion is fleeting but the baseline may rise a little bit. So, for me, I think working on our mood, working on this baseline is key. And the better we look after our bodies, feeling rested, fed, exercised, loved, hydrated, less stressed, the better we'll feel overall. I guess it's really about well being. And perhaps happiness is just simply a proxy for well-being. I'm definitely going to revisit moods and body budgets in another episode. But today I wanted to talk a little bit about what the happiness research says, whether we can have happiness at work, and some practical ways for us to chase happiness. But is happiness something to chase? Have we been hoodwinked by Hollywood's happy endings and sailing off into the sunset to live happily ever after? A couple of weekends ago, I had the absolute privilege of being in a room with other people, but with David White a morning with David White, a conversation with David White. And he touched briefly on this chasing happiness and how we often have a conditional view of it. I'll be happy when the sun shines, when I get a new job, when I get a pay rise. If only I had a new pair of boots. I know that when I retire, I'll be happy. the reality is that it rarely works out that way. Like placing conditions on a future event will not guarantee that outcome. We can't tell that it will make us happy even if something like it did previously. So what we imagine brings us happiness doesn't necessarily do so. There's all sorts of research and studies that prove this. We'll often have a mismatch between how we're really feeling and how we're evaluating our lived experience. And when this happens, we can ask the question, why aren't these things making us happy? Like what actually went on here? Why didn't it work? And when you ask people this question, The answers usually come back pretty similar. It's got to do with our genetics. We just can't change it or our life circumstances trump everything else. But actually those answers are not correct. The research shows that only 50% comes from your genetics. So half of our happiness comes from our genetics. But the life circumstances only account for 10% of our actual happiness. It's the smallest component. So we're left with 40%. And this is based upon the actions we take, our intentions and our habits. So it's really something we can do something about. We can work towards elevating our state of happiness. We can chase the wrong things thinking they'll bring us happiness at the expense of things like kindness, relationships, creating time to do things we enjoy, being present, having a healthy body. All of these things impact our well-being. what about happiness at work? On the International Day of Happiness, I came across a quote from Steve Jobs. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. And it made me think, well, if I love what I do, does it mean that I'll be happy at work? And I don't think there's any guarantee. In fact, I think I can love what I do and be in an unhappy work environment. Eventually that will seep into what I do and I can be happy where I am but not love what I do or even like it. So is there a balance to be struck? In the book Nine Lies About Work, an absolutely brilliant read, I highly recommend it, the authors say that the research shows that those who spend at least 20% of their time doing things they love had dramatically lower risk of burnout. And for every percentage decrease, it resulted in a percentage increase in the risk of burnout. So they recommend intentionally and responsibly bringing love into your work. Figuring out what you really love to do and what you don't really like to do. They talk about drawing up a love it and loathe it list so you can see which ones bring you that energy and which ones drain your energy. I kind of like to think of it as yum and yuck (laughs) because it can be a visceral reaction to things. And the activities that you love are your what they call red threads and these red threads are your strengths and you'll find patterns in this data. So pay attention to what your emotional reactions are. And what was interesting, they also found that actually, if you spend more than 20% of the time doing stuff you really love at work, it doesn't make any difference. So 20% is what you really need to be spending. So if you're working five days a week, Make sure that for one of those days you are really doing something that you love. So what are the ways to practically chase happiness? (laughs) And there are so many ways to bring more joy or happiness or contentment or whatever your word is into your life and ways that are free. And I'm going to share three with you today. The first one I really like is savoring. And savoring is described as the act of stepping outside of an experience to review and appreciate it. It helps us to stop our minds wandering so we remain present and by the good things, and also increase our gratitude. So what might you savour? Well, it can be really simple, like holding the hand of a loved one, seeing a sunset, seeing the sunrise, a fantastic meal. You feel it in the moment that this is just magical or I'm really enjoying this. Save for it, store it. And you can access it whenever you want. Another one is VIA character strengths. VIA stands for values in action. And I'll put a link to this website in my show notes, but you can go and do a free assessment. It takes about 10 minutes. And there are 24 different character strengths that are universally understood. And you'll possess all of these 24 character strengths in different degrees, but you will get your own unique character strengths profile. And the thing about them is, if you're trying to build stuff that you really want to into your working day, these might help give you an idea of, where your strengths lie. And you can just focus on the top three. Take those top three and try and make sure that you're, you're using them in your daily life. So one of my top three is humour. And I know if I am not having fun or laughing or messing about, it does have an impact on my mood. And at times I have gone and actually made myself laugh <laughs> just so I can bring up that baseline again. So I do recommend if you don't know what your strengths are, you're curious about this, have a go. It's free to use. And I I do it once a year to see how I'm going. And my top five strengths, they're generally more or less the same, but I have noticed over the last few years, some changes as well. And the final thing I'd like to share with you is this concept of emotional granularity. And it brings me back a little bit to what I talked about at the beginning and how our words describe our experiences, but can also limit our experiences. So if you think like of an emotion as a category, like happiness is a category, but there's tremendous variety in that. And I suppose the parallel for me is gin. If you think of it, when we were growing up, well, certainly when I was growing up, there was like three different varieties of gin to choose from. But now you go into any bar or any supermarket and there are so many different varieties of gin. And they might all be the same, but they have subtle differences and flavours to them. And so when you're looking for words, yeah, they might sound the same, but they do have subtle differences. Oh, you might think joy is the same as happy, is the same as contentment, is the same as satisfaction or fulfillment, but they all mean something slightly different. So we all need emotional granularity. We all need to expand our emotional vocabulary and research shows that the ability to name how we feel is directly proportional to our happiness. That's what emotional granularity gives us. I asked, how are you feeling right now, earlier on? And if I asked you again, how are you feeling right now? Will you default to fine or grand as we say in Ireland? But we're seldom actually only feeling one thing, And we're very much disconnected from what we're really feeling. But by being better able to interpret how you are feeling, what you are experiencing and why, can actually change what you're currently feeling. And one article I read put this in a really interesting way. They said if we put our feelings into words, we first have to identify emotional experience that we're having. And to do that takes some self-reflection, not only on what our feelings are, but also on what might have caused this emotion. And in turn, we then propose an action to address the identified emotion. So if we're feeling angry, for example, it might be because we just received an email from our boss that asked us to do something that we sent to him last week and he just hadn't had time to look at it. <laughs> but by saying to yourself, like, oh, this really annoys me, well, then what am I going to do about it? And it can take the charge out of the emotion by naming it. Scientists call this affect labelling there might be words out there you've never come across. And there are some brilliant resources out. Susie Dent, An Emotional Dictionary. Real Words for How You Feel, From Angst to Swatter. There's The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows by John Coing And a book I've had for a while is The Book of Human Emotions. An encyclopedia of feeling from anger to wanderlust. And I... I like to go through these books and find words and see if they make sense to me. Because what's fascinating is a word in another language for an emotion may be something that we've experienced, but we've never had the word for. And a way to think about this actually is if you speak another language, there will be words in one language that just don't translate into the other. And I know myself, living overseas wanting to speak Irish every now and then. And there are certain words in Irish for me that are not translatable. They just don't mean the same thing in English. It doesn't capture the nuance, the subtlety of that experience. And so one for me is this word, it's two words, but it means one thing, sketeamini oj. And at the beginning, I was like, how am I feeling? Well, I had a bit of ketamine. Oh, it's just this, like excitement, but it's kind of something bubbling up inside. And Aarhus is happiness. So it's almost like this, I don't know, rumblings of happiness or something. And even though I can't explain it, but I recognise it and I know what it means. So I thought I would pick one or two other words from these books. The Germans have lots of words for emotional concepts that are amazing and some of them are, are making their way into common language I suppose and one that I hear a lot is schadenfreude which is some sort of glee at another's misfortune so I think we probably all <laughs> recognise that. The Japanese have a lot of words as well. And one word, when I read this word, I was like, oh my God, I know what this means. And this word is ame. Most of us on occasion feel the urge to crumple into the arms of a loved one, to be coddled and comforted. It's important and reviving, this sensation of temporary surrender in perfect safety. The feeling it gives us is not easily captured in English, but Japanese people know it as me. And I absolutely know that feeling and I hope you do too. And I love that I now have a word for it. And that is from the book of human emotion. And one from an emotional dictionary by Susie Dent. Actually, I'm going to give you two from here. One is... The French word, and I'm going to try and pronounce this properly, which is jouissance, which means delight or ecstasy. So you can have enjoyment or you can have jouissance. It's got a far greater breadth than simple enjoyment. It's both physical and intellectual pre- pleasure. It can be the delight of learning something new or the total ecstasy of orgasm. The French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan described the emotion as one that begins with a tickle and ends with a blaze of petrol. (laughs) And another one is a German word. And this is the opposite end of the spectrum. So this is a word for world weariness or pain. And again, I hope the pronunciation is Weltschmerz. Apparently, we often turn to German for expressions of yearning and anxiety. We adopted angst, for example, from German. But this word, "Weltschmerz," has a literal meaning of world pain. It is defined in the Oxford English Dictionary as a weary or pessimistic feeling about life, as well as an apathetic or vaguely yearning attitude In other words, it is a melancholy that rather than being focused inward comes down to the condition of being human in a thoroughly imperfect world. And you know what? You can make up words if you want to. And of course, we can have mixed emotions. We can feel happy at the same time as feeling sad. Like I remember being at my brother's wedding and crying (laughs) for ages as well as being really happy. So there are mixed emotions and that Cheryl Crow song comes to mind. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why the hell are you so sad? And finally, just to leave you with something lightly entertaining. I went to AI, because everybody's talking about AI these days on, helping you to write things and to research things and whatever. So I asked AI a couple of questions about happiness. So it says, basically, there is no one right way to achieve happiness. What works for one person may not work for another. It's important to find out what makes you happy and pursue it. However, it's also important to remember that happiness is not a destination, it is a journey. There will be ups and downs in life, but if you focus on the positive aspects of your life, you can find happiness even in the midst of challenges. So there's really not much more to say. <laughs> Maybe AI will write my next podcast episode. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed some reflections on happiness and I wish you all the happiness, joy, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and scatimini ohus that you can conjure up. Until next time, it's been my pleasure. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.